Welcome to the second episode of Thinking Big for Small and Mid-Sized Biotechs, a podcast featuring seasoned experts who share strategies that they have used to help small and mid-sized companies get innovative treatments to the people who need them. I'm your host, Jennifer Fink. In our first episode, we talked about defining the regulatory roadmap for product success. Mary Beth Adams, a Lucent's Senior Vice President of the Consulting Business Unit, outlined the critical importance of a gap analysis and showed us how taking time for a gap analysis can actually save time in the long run. If you haven't yet listened to that episode, I strongly encourage you to do so. Your product has to clear significant regulatory hurdles before it can get to the patients who need it. And Mary Beth discusses how to clear those hurdles. Today, we're talking about multinational clinical trials and why those trials are key to bringing novel therapies to market. Joining us today is Pavle Vukajevic, a rheumatologist turned clinical researcher who is now the chief scientific officer for Lucent. Pavle, a native of Serbia, has more than 30 years experience in clinical research and development. He is also a former president of the Association of Clinical Research Professionals Serbia chapter. Welcome, Pavle. Well, thank you, Jennifer, for a nice introduction, and I'm looking forward to our discussion today. You transitioned from a career in clinical medicine, working with patients, to a career in clinical research. Why did you make that transition, and what's the through thread that connects your career as a physician to your role now? That's a great question, and that's something that more than once I was explaining to my colleagues back in the clinic. So as you mentioned, I was practicing physician for about 10 years in the field of internal medicine, or more specifically rheumatology, and I myself also am keeping the science degree in immunology. So I did about 10 years of treating the patients at the clinic, and I was facing many challenges as all the medics do in the clinics. And over that time, I got intrigued with the opportunities for the new types of treatments. Rheumatology is a very challenging area. There is a lot of really devastating diseases, like autoimmune diseases, such as, for example, lupus, where we don't have a good enough treatment yet. And at the time, the opportunity showed up for me to go and try develop new medicine or new drugs for patients. And I took the opportunity. I have to admit, at the beginning, it was a little bit of not easy decision to make because I did like my clinic. I did love treating my patients. But in broader picture, this actually proved to be very, I would say, relatively successful switch because now I can proudly say that I actually has reached out to much more patients than what I could have if I stayed in the clinic. As being part of the Allucent for 25 plus years now, I was part of the development of more than 20 drugs that has been registered and are available for our patients on the market as we speak. And that I find is a great achievement and makes me, you know, feel very proud professionally and also is fulfilling my medical side of the being and willingness to help other people or other patients. As a physician, you wanted to help your patients, wanted to relieve their suffering whenever possible, and you're doing that on a broader scale at this point. That's completely right. Because, you know, at the time when you're in the clinic, it is really a great satisfaction helping another human being. 
as much as you can. But this way, I do feel that I'm actually reaching out to a much larger number of patients out there who have a treatment, thanks to the work that me and Alucent and our clients are actually putting into the research. And that's a great, you know, uh, bringing me to some level of big professional satisfaction level, because I feel I'm still out there and helping my patients, just as you said, at much broader scale. When you're in the lab, it can be so easy to get focused on the science. And as you're bringing a product to market, the regulatory hurdles and checking all the right boxes. And you're reminding us that this is really all about people in the end. All these steps are really about getting medications, treatments, products to people who need them. That's another great point because... You know, in our day-to-day business in clinical research, we are facing daily with the hurdles and it's not always easy to overcome. And sometimes we do miss and forget about why are we doing what we are doing. And actually, that's exactly what you said. We are here to help our patients by developing the new drugs that they need. And again, I really like to celebrate every time we have a successful story and new drug hits the market. And I really would like all of my colleagues to do the same, just to remind ourselves, actually, why we do what we do. How do multinational clinical trials fit into this? Clinical trials are certainly an important step you say multinational, and that sounds a little overwhelming, especially to a smaller company. Well, you know, I have been, as I mentioned earlier, with uh, with a company in international clinical research for more than 25 years now, and I could have seen the market changing. But I think that realistically at the moment, except for some really rare cases where you can still run a study in a single country and get the approval based on that, we all need really to think about inter- going international and getting enough patients in the shortest possible span of time. Because remember, every day that we lose, every day that we are delayed, or every day that we don't have the drug finished, the the research is the day lost for our patients. So that's why I keep saying to our clients, start to think, think in time, if, if nothing else. Think about the time needed to develop a drug if you restrict yourself to one country or one region. Be brave if you have not had that experience. And I think that the the current market is actually confirming that I'm right. If you look at the latest drugs approved, I would say probably more than 90%, roughly, is based on the international clinical research, if not more than that. So while it may seem easier on the surface to restrict your research to a country or a region that you know well, because perhaps that's where you are, What I hear you saying is that it is more efficient. You can get more patients involved in your trial, get your data more quickly by reaching out and looking internationally, involving other countries and regions. Exactly. If you just restrict yourself to one country or one region, as I said, you'd have to face the limitations, especially the limitations in number of patients you can can get for your clinical research. If you go internationally, then you have much broader audience of the of the patients to reach out to. And at the end, you will save time here and you will actually get your results needed to move further quickly. And I think in our business, it's really critical. Again, we should not lose the perspective of our patients here and leaving them without potential appropriate treatment is 
just not fair and not the right thing to do. So I'm a big advocate of international clinical research. And over the previous maybe 20 to 25 years, I think it really became more a norm than, as a, than one exception. I know that we're talking about the importance of getting treatments to patients as quickly and as efficiently as possible, but there's certainly business reasons to want to conduct research as quickly and efficiently as possible as well. Yeah, of course. You know, we all know that clinical research is very expensive and there is two aspects to it. One aspect is that it's expensive and there is always a doubt if the drug we are testing will be a successful one or not. On the other hand, there is always, well, and we, we actually support that, there is always multiple companies targeting the same indication, if you like, or targeting the same group of patients. And every month lost in this, I would say, race is always costing the companies who are hesitant to go quicker, in this case, meaning going international, is costing them a lot. You know, it could even cost them even the drug is good one, it could cause them losing really successful launch and, and significant market. Because if someone gets there first or the second and our hypothetical client is only the third because they were restrictive in terms of you know number of countries and regions, that will cost them much more than just the cost of the research. It strikes me as well, in recent years, there's been increased attention to diversity and equity and inclusion in healthcare. And by doing multinational, international research at the beginning, you are taking that step to ensure that your product works in a wide variety of people. That's another important aspect of the international clinical research, because this way you're really having variety. You're not, again, restricting yourself to one country with one population, no matter what you look at, race, gender, age. And when you go internationally, or even further than just race, gender, and age, if you look, for example, background treatment, standard of care, all these things also should be aligned. And going internationally, you will have a much broader spectrum of patients with different, I would say, characteristics in certain way. And that will allow you and enable you actually to move on into more countries and more regions when your research is completed. And that's also one of the important aspects of going internationally. You know, some countries even mandate that some part of the research is completed in their country or in their population, if you like. So that may ultimately make approvals easier at the, at the end process. Definitely. Because by completing a study in a certain region, you have to follow their local standard of care, their regulations. You know, you have to have patients of the local population characteristics. And that is all that regulators will look at one day when they review your package for the drug approval to go to the market. So the world is a very big place. And if I am a small, mid-sized company, I have a product that I believe in. I'm looking at bringing it to market. I hear everything you're saying. Yes, I need to look at doing international trials. Where does one even start in figuring out how to operationalize this, how to make this happen? Well, you know, Lucent is the mid-sized global zero. And you know, not restricting to Lucent alone, but I will use Lucent as an example here. I think I would advise anyone planning to go into international research to go to someone with relevant experience and then ask the questions they need to ask. How is that organized? How does it work? Is it 
you know, what are the hurdles? What are the timelines? All that things that I can fully agree with you are not necessarily known by our clients at the beginning. So my best advice is that use a good partner that will have relevant experience to, first of all, you know, inform you about relevant details. So even our clients can make some selections when it comes to the country choice themselves. And then further on, guide them through the whole process. Because we have to be aware that there is a lot of differences around the world. Even the small ones counts. In a clinical research, everything is very tightly regulated. And every country or a region, if you like, will have their own ways of dealing with things and asking for certain documents or or level of information they need to get something approved or not approved. So my advice back to your original question is go to the company that has relevant experience, talk to them. Again, I will not always not ever insist that our advice is the best in the world in the first place, but talk to us if you like to talk to a lucent or similar companies, and we will be able to share with you relevant information. So. The best in my experience is when we get to the list and the final selection of the countries together based on our client needs on one hand and our experience and expertise on the other hand. So let's say that I am a smaller company and I have a promising rheumatology treatment. I don't know what to even consider and think of in terms of international clinical trials. How do you work with a company to determine what may be reasonable, what countries or regions to consider, especially global uncertainty. I mean, you can make a plan today and things can shift globally. So how do you plan a global clinical trial in an ever-changing environment? Well, that's another great point. And expect unexpected should be our, our logic. However, we all know it's, it's not always possible. But we do the best we can to think that way. So In this specific case, what I will do is first I will talk and we always do that. I always do that. You know, in my current position, part of my job is to talk to our clients, give them advices when they start thinking, even before they have a protocol and and a plan of research. And, you know, talk to them and see, okay, what, what type of indication are you looking at based on what we know about your track? Once we know the indication, then there is many things to take into account. For example... The incidence, how, how many patients you have in certain region, potentially, you know, or the prevalence, if you like. So statistical, how frequent is the disease in different parts of the world? We all know that there are diseases that are sometimes more frequent in certain population than in the other. So it's usually the first step. However, if it is, that is in most cases, if it is pretty evenly distributed, then we look at other things. We look at, for example, we look at standard of care because we have to be sure that one day we have final data. This will be acceptable around the world for regulators to consider for approval. So we look at standard of care and then we explain to our clients what the standard of care is in different countries and how does it fit into their plans. Next thing we look at, again, together, I really like to share this as a thinking, you know, as a, as a creative thinking type of exercise with our clients. Next thing is also looking at the timelines they have in mind. Because different countries and different regions may have different timelines for getting something up and running. Oh, sure. In addition to all that, you always look at things like, uh, for example, what is approaching? What is the next expectation of, for example, the change in the standard of care? Because it is in the public domain that we know what drugs has been submitted for the approval. 
So if we know, for example, that in certain countries, standard of care is likely to be changed over the next year or, you know, during the time of the study duration, then we advise our clients to take that into consideration as well. Because we don't want to start study under one protocol and then just six months later, we are not able to run it just because standard of care has changed. I forgot one very important point these days, and that is the, the competing trials. You know, it's, as I was mentioning earlier, the, the international studies became almost a norm these days. And we always and always check in our countries and the regions, what is the competition out there? What is the competition at the moment? What is the competition with the studies expected to start? You cannot overload certain countries with the studies and expect to be successful. It's just not happening. Not only that you won't have enough patients to enroll, but also the workload of the staff will be high and then that will cost you in quality and that will cost you in some other aspects as well. So overall, it is a complex discussion. Everything I mentioned and a little bit more facts, we all take into consideration. We present to our clients, that is our model of work. And again, based on their company plans, company goals, we come together to the final solution. One more thing just before I end on this one is what you mentioned again is completely right. There is, this is ever-changing environment. Things that cannot be even anticipated are happening. So we always have a plan B and that's either additional country or additional sites in the existing countries to start with. But we do have to be ready if something goes wrong for whatever it is. What I hear you saying underscores the importance of working with somebody who has intimate knowledge and a depth of knowledge of the healthcare system and the patient population and standards of care in various countries. You can't have those conversations if you're not working with somebody who has that kind of knowledge. Exactly. And even more than that, ideally, you should be looking for the pharma or biotech side. You should be looking for the partner who has not only that level of knowledge, but also a relationship with the sites locally. Because many things really depend on, on the site level. For example, uh, what I mentioned as one of the important criteria is the competition. So having a good enough relationship with the sites will enable us to be able to say that, you know, a certain site or country even is just not such a great choice at the moment because we know that a big trial with the same patient population is just expected in the next months. This is something you cannot find on the internet or find in your regular communication with the regulatory. So local expertise and ideally local presence is really critical for successful setup of the international trial. Pavle, you're saying it's very important to have on the ground relationships that that is key to a successful multinational trial. That's completely right. Not only that you need these relationships to be able to navigate sometimes through, I would say, very subtle differences in between the countries in the regulatory submission and regulatory approval process. But even more importantly, you will benefit from having a local relationship with the sites by getting a real realistic feedback from the sites directly. For example, about competing trials. That is something that you cannot pick up on the web or elsewhere. It is something that you really need a good relationship with the sites to know that some big studies are coming or not. So my point here is that when you choose your partner to go internationally, 
make sure that this partner has a good local presence and local connections, as well as relationship with the sites. We have all learned recently how interconnected the world is. The the COVID-19 crisis interrupted healthcare, supply chain, all these things, war in the Ukraine and Russia, all these things are disruptive to healthcare, to clinical research, and can be very difficult, if not impossible, to predict. Pavle, what has happened to some of the trials that certainly were ongoing as the world shifted around them? We, I think as the company, we did a pretty good job with the COVID situation at the time um, because no, it was a new situation for everyone. Being a big or being a small company didn't matter. Running a study in this therapeutic area or that therapeutic area did not matter because everything was affected. However, we did navigate very successfully, and I think it's a benefit and that's the advantage of the smaller and mid-sized CROs because we are flexible agile, and we can adjust and adopt more quickly than some bigger, larger systems. So what happened is that even the countries were not completely clear what to do, but we were closely following daily development in each of the countries and reacted almost daily ourselves. So at the end of the day, we really did not lose any of our patients due to the COVID, or we did not lose any of the countries because of the COVID itself. Everything was unfortunately delayed or slowed down. But at the end, we did manage to get our studies to an end. And I, I have to say, I was very proud of that, talking to some of our clients and and hearing from them that they were very happy and satisfied how little COVID did have impact on their studies. So the situation in this very unfortunate, again, war between Russia and Ukraine is also something I would say unexpected. But again, being small enough to be flexible and agile did enable us to switch because both countries are sizable, both countries has a large patient population, and every study that did count on the patients coming from Russia and or Ukraine did was affected significantly, you can imagine that, because they were expecting a significant percentage of the patients coming from these two countries. However, we were using our plan B strategies straight away And we were looking for the alternatives. And I can tell you that we did that again, very, very satisfactory for our clients. We have not lost any of our our ongoing projects due to this, again, very unfortunate situation. So I think that's where smaller organizations and, you know, organizations that are able to move quickly and change direction quickly and plan and execute quickly really, really is a big benefit. So give me an example. You know, let's say that we have worked together and we have developed a plan for a multinational trial and we're expecting to have a certain number of patients coming from Russia or Ukraine and war breaks out and that's not possible. Then what? What happened next? Well, I can give you a direct example uh, without mentioning names. Of course, we do have ongoing study in a rare indication and significant percentage of patients was expected from these two countries. We even had lined up patients in both countries when everything, you know, happened. Within a week, we did know that this is a situation that has to be fixed immediately. We had a call with the client immediately and we looked for the alternatives. And for us, the best alternative was two ways. One was opening additional sites in the existing countries that were already 
up and running. But even that was not enough because, again, the pool of patients from almost oh, 200 million between Russia and Ukraine was huge. So we added a new country that we calculated needed to be big enough and with a relatively at least acceptable duration for the setup period that will work. So we identified this country to be India. And within the six months from February when the conflict started till August, we had India up and running with sites that have been identified, approved, and even had an investigator meeting organized in this period. I'm not saying that we did not lose a couple of months here, because that was just impossible in this setting. But compared to some other situations where I know this war did have much worse effect, this was actually minimal, I would say, delay for our client. And our client is very satisfied with that. And we have study going on as, as planned. Almost, I think we have actually, because of the good feedback and good recruitment to the other countries that picked up, we have actually almost came back to the original timelines. So within a week, you were discussing, hey, we need to start pivoting. The pivoting plan happened rather quickly. And you're telling me that within six months, that was operationalized in another country that wasn't part of the original plan due to these pre-existing relationships and knowledge. Exactly as you say. We literally had the first call within a week with the client and we did have our country selected to fix this situation up and running in, in six months' time. And we had even, if I can mention, one of the first face-to-face -face, uh, investigator meetings in India since the COVID started. Oh, wow. So that was, uh, yeah, I would say additional success of us. But again, I think this is just illustrating that we are managing to remain flexible and agile and fix things really in the shortest possible time. And that is at least partially due to the company structure and our size. Because again, this situation was escalated to the highest level in the company within a week. That, to be completely fair, will not happen if we were like, I don't know, tens of thousands huge organization. Flexibility, agility, and international perspective are extremely important in our global interconnected economies and healthcare systems. And Pavle, I've so appreciated your input today. Thank you so much for sharing your time and expertise with us. You're welcome. Happy to be part of this. Thank you. Multinational trials can seem impractical or overwhelming for small and mid-sized companies. But as we've learned today, there are risks to restricting your clinical research to just one country. Managing multinational clinical trials requires flexibility, agility, and on-the-ground connections, but they quite literally open a world of possibility. Thank you again, Pavle, for sharing your stories and your expertise, and thank you all for joining us as well. I encourage you to join us for the next and final episode of Thinking Big for Small and Mid-Sized Biotechs. For more information, you can go to elucent.com. Until then, goodbye.